Good morning, everyone. I will kick this over, but at least I can say I told you so. We're going to begin with some scripture, and then we'll talk a little more. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's not our text. We are in Colossians chapter 2, but it's very, very related. Let me remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news that saves you. I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. And he was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. This, my brothers and sisters, is the core of who we are and what we believe. It's a prescription for all mankind on how to be spiritually free. Some in the Christian community refer to this as creed. Paul says it's most important. So all of scripture I take to be important, especially when I read it. So if Paul is saying most important, that means something very significant. Draw your attention to it. It's the common core or the redemptive truth given to those who were authorized by Christ himself to bear the gospel, good news, to bear witness. John Vanderveld preached a similar uh, passage from chapter 1, which he mentioned was a poem that they might have memorized or a creed. And today we continue in chapter 2. And all, all that we've done this whole summer out of Colossians apparently is just an introduction. So Paul finally hits stride in verse 6 that we'll read in a moment. So the rest was um, get ready, and now he's pivoting to the heart of the message. And it goes from this text today all the way through chapter 4. And some commentators are arguing that it's the very essence of the entire message of the book and the gospel. So as such, I'm getting ready for this. It stressed me out completely. How do you convey, first of all, Christ, and then how do you convey the whole book in this one moment? But it blessed me, fortunately, in its simplicity. And before I continue, let me introduce myself. I'm John Foster, a pastor of Care and Outreach. I have been on staff here for 11 and a half years. I just got back from a vacation in the beautiful beaches of Cape Cod, Massachusetts, and up in Lake Winnipesaukee, New Hampshire, near where I grew up. And I spent some time hanging out with my beautiful niece, Pogus, named after Pogus Bay in Laconia, New Hampshire. She's only 15 months old. She has brown eyes. She's very clean. She loves to run. And Poggy loves to box. Who knew that boxers actually love to box? Um, she loves to snuggle on the couch. She comes when she's called, which is a bonus. She doesn't bark. She likes to play ball. She creates good feelings in almost everyone who meets her. Yet she doesn't understand the stock market, and she's never driven a car. I mention Pogus because I fear that too many of us from time to time end up feeling about God the way that I feel about that dog. I get a warm feeling. Nothing wrong with that. I get a warm feeling when we sing worship songs. Those were some good ones with some amazing solid words, weren't they? 
I feel great when I serve at the care center or when I go on a mission trip. And for me, I, I um, get excited when someone grows through the preaching of the word, no matter who's presenting it here at church. All of those are good things. They're not enough to ground my faith. What happens if I get fired? What happens when my kids struggle with the faith? When God takes a loved one from cancer? Or a friend commits suicide or a family member? Positive vibes about God can fade pretty quickly at that point. Life is more challenging than puppy love has the ability to deal with. And as Vanderveld reminded us last week, our call is to be firm and disciplined. Even amidst trials, we need a rock. And that rock is Christ. He has no equal. He has no match in beauty, strength, care, faithfulness, creativity, priority, ability to pardon sin, a thousand names, um, and to transform lives. He's superior. We can bring him our addictions. We can bring him our struggles. We can bring him our fears. We sang strongly, taste of the Lord and you'll find what you're looking for. That's the invite of today's passage. Christ is superior. There's the simplicity of it. Superior. And if we do not continue in him, we will be swept away, unfortunately. So we need to continue in him, and don't be mistaken, believers are being swept away all the time. It's almost like you can say, okay, nothing happened this week, but next week someone will go. And now the new term is called deconstructing. I've deconstructed my faith to find something a little bit more suitable, something that fits a God who fits my needs that I can represent well. And, and I'm talking about pastors, musicians, Theologians, authors, influencers, and Christian speakers. Colossians says this to ground us. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, and this is from the NIV, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up, and strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. I summarize these verses. What are they kind of saying? Well, Paul's saying, continue like you began. Continue this journey the way you started it. It's a reminder you received Christ, and it's a command you continue to follow in him. Straightforward and simple. The process of following is the same as receiving by faith. It's been a lifelong thing for me. <clears throat> I, uh, it was by faith, as my brother shared with me, that I believed the gospel. I spent my younger years running around in life, probably running around God. He was a spoke. He wasn't the hub. He was part of my life. He was not the central focus. And then I, I got a little bit older and I started to look around. Well, maybe the meaning of life is elsewhere. So I began running from God. I, I didn't really engage in a life of crime, although I did smoke Virginia Slim cigarettes. Unknown to me and my friends, they were lady cigarettes. 
We were the tough guys on the block. <laughs> As you can see, I was, I was messed up. And um, I found that that was empty. Whatever I was looking for outside of Christ was empty. And along the way, um, actually, I, humanly speaking, I gave God a second chance. The reality is, I found rescue in continuing in Him. I rediscovered the message at a time when I needed it. And along the way, then, as I continued growing in my faith, partially out of gratitude, I began to run for God. I was going to show him that he made a wise investment. My focus went subtly from duty, actually from faith, to a little bit more of duty, self-effort. And this leads two streets that are, uh, don't have a good ending. One is, if you feel like you're making it, you're proud. I did it. Wow. God should high-five me when I get to the pearly gates. Or the other is frustration. I failed. I can never get this Christian thing right. And the true call I found is to be with God. And even today, our text, union in him. And what I do as a believer and a person grows from his approval and in no way earns my own favor. And this is what Paul was urging. The King James translates it like this, and I grew up in King James, so I consider myself bilingual. As ye therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, not as Lord, Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. It has like a daily, non-sensational sound to it, doesn't it? Oh, walk. I can do that. That's not just for the pastors or the missionaries. That's a good thing. Receiving Christ, the Lord, refers to the faith, because he said, you've been taught in this faith. And later on, he'll mention, you were baptized, which means they really um, owned it for themselves. Their confession at baptism would have been the following. Christos Kurios. Christ is Lord. And it would have really been unheard of for a new convert to not be baptized in identifying with Christ. And so those who have taken Christ and identified with him must order their life or walk or continue in Christ alone. Another confession. During COVID... I became a member of an online support group, LCN, Lawn Care Nuts. And I've made my yard and my garden a priority this year. It's good for me. I proudly mow my lawn two to sometimes three times a week. Before you laugh at me, it's exercise and therapy, both physically and mentally. Um, the, The LCN, by the way, they support me in this. They're right behind me. Never cut more than a third of the blade of grass off. Know when to water. Don't over-fertilize. Fertilize just the right amount. And in times of drought, if you leave your grass longer, the roots grow deep, and it's more protected, and it'll be greener than your neighbor's, which is the whole goal. <laughs> but your roots grow deep. And as I'm reading this text, I'm thinking, wait a minute. Christ is talking about, um, Paul is talking about being rooted in Christ. That means that he's saying you've got to have some form of 
growth down into the rock that will sustain you when it's not all sunshine and puppy dogs. Continue in him. It's a military term. Strengthened, rooted, so you can survive the drought. In him, not for him, not around him, but in him. And from this grows abundant thankfulness. This could almost be a side point for me because I've come to realize the scripture throws out thankfulness and sometimes I read it and go, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be grateful. Uh Uh-uh. It's way bigger than that. Romans 1.21 says, when they knew God, they did not glorify him as God and, it doesn't say next they denied him, it says, and neither did they give him thanks. So when we're talking about what is essentially uh, the core of our belief, it's, they're mentioning thankfulness here, rootedness. Thankfulness grows out of a strong foundation in Christ. So I don't have to run around and say, i got to be more thankful today. It is not a bad goal. But the reality is, say, as I root in Christ, thankfulness goes with it hand in hand. And the word for thankfulness is Eucharist, communion. It's an antidote for falling away. I'm really struggling in my faith. Have you considered thankfulness? It's a life preserver. And so even when we, we only take communion once a month here, but when we give thanks to God for that which is most essential, it has transforming power. Let me ask you this, because it seems like everyone has to have a cause now, right? We, we all do, I do, you do. And then we have to put it on our bumper sticker or in our yard or on the internet for everyone to know these are my causes. Do your causes make you more thankful Or do they lead you to bitterness? Let's continue. We have some more scripture here. We'll go from verses 8 to uh, 10, I think, or 8 and 9. Is that correct, John? We got it? Okay, good, thanks. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in him in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Is it wrong for me? I love those verses. I guess you're supposed to love all of Scripture, but these are just some really good ones. And I summarized it. My second observation is that these verses are telling me, avoid captivity. So don't get taken captive because you are already complete in Christ. So it's a, it's a warning. Do not get taken captive. See to it. Beware. Think about it like this. Don't get kidnapped. Don't get trafficked, taken away. Don't become a POW. When I was a kid, that was a big thing, and there were, don't forget the POWs and the MIAs, missing inactions. Don't be sidetracked is what Paul is saying. Teachers and spiritual forces, both, were attempting to derail their faith. Smooth talkers had come into Colossae with human additions to the gospel. 
like we can improve on this perfect piece of artwork. That's like me getting a paintbrush and going, I'm going to help Van Gogh out. All right, the guy was messed up, but I still couldn't do what he does. And so um, it's, it's like us trying to perfect an already perfect masterpiece. Paul and the apostles are not going to sit down and just watch this happen as people are trying to feast on the believers and teach them things that aren't true. So they warn the flock, hey, consider this a threat. When I was a kid, I went to Cape Cod. We've got a picture of that as well. And so I started, my mom used to take me there when I was young, and we went as a family often. I go with my sister. It's beautiful. It's peaceful. I love it. And we all knew about Jaws, but there's no legitimate threat there. We had nothing to fear. In the ensuing years since my childhood, the seal population has really grown, multiplied exponentially. Seals are a great food source for the great white shark. So we didn't just do little sand sharks in New England. They did great white sharks. And there are warning signs everywhere now. So I get up, I go to Duncan's and get some iced coffee, and I see the signs in the waterways, and I see the signs on the beaches. And it's like, hey, there's food in the water now, and in addition, we've got a great white population, and especially since the fatal attack two years ago, again, the warnings are everywhere, and I no longer take the shark warnings for granted. July 8th, we're out there, and I went in the water with my cousin, because she knows no fear, and we were in for about an hour. I was up to my waist. And actually, I try not to watch in some ways because then you get more nervous. But I was not much deeper than my waist, and, and it went well. So the next day, I'm getting ready to go in the water again. And from shore, we spot a small object in the water. Your heart stops, and you're like, was that a fin? No. Whew. And then you relax and breathe. It went back under the water. What was it? And then a moment later, confirmed, it's a seal. That is very cool. Like right where we were swimming. And then I'm like, wait a minute. I read the sign. <laughs> I know what's swimming behind there. And so that particular day, I chose to obey the sign for the first time in my life, and I stayed out of the water. There's some debate as to what Paul is warning us about in verse 8. He's saying, take heed, pay attention and it's hollow and deceptive philosophy. What is it, and who are those elemental spirits of this world? For Paul to say, hey, they want to take you captive. False teachers were claiming that Jesus was not complete to save you unless you added the Jewish law to it. In other words, the law fulfilled Christ and not the other way around. Their words were untrue, they were deceptive, they were based on the traditions of men. And as to the principles of this world, it's called advanced knowledge. What is that? That piques interest in me, at least. I start to go, what's advanced knowledge? Do I have it? What are they talking about? And the advanced knowledge is quite possibly some astrology that they were into. Next week, we will clarify a little further because it talks about the worship of angels, which more likely is the worship with angels. And these teachers were essentially claiming that they had had angelic experiences. 
in worship. And they came to the throne, kind of like Isaiah did in the Old Testament, and they were involved in this wonderful experience, and you could have it too. And it was implying, first of all, that. No, actually not implying first. The first thing is those Colossian believers were feeling inferior. Oh, we haven't had that. Are we supposed to? Does that mean you're a better Christian? I never saw an angel. And so, first of all, then they start to doubt. Big deal to doubt in life, but they're doubting their foundation built upon Christ. And then secondly and more important, which is why Paul stood up like a lightning bolt and was ready to fight, is it made them feel, um, it was implying that Christ was not enough. They did not have the full picture of God. They needed something more. And he was quite adamant. He said, you became a believer already. And at that moment, you were immediately given fullness in Christ. That applies to us, me, you. You don't have to say, am I complete in Christ? No, you are. You are complete. Nothing is needed. Um, nothing is forgotten. When I left for my vacation, I left my wallet in my home. Interesting how I actually got it back, but that's not the point. The point is I was incomplete without my wallet and didn't know it until I went to pay my first whatever anyway. Um, it's as though, don't walk around as though um, salvation isn't quite complete. A few things were left out. God didn't fill you to the full. When you have Christ, you have all you need. Jesus was enough, fully God. Some people are still debating today, which is why Paul says it's the main thing. It's creed. Was he only a man? Or was he a spirit? Was he both God and man? Does it really matter? And is he enough or is there more? Jesus here is called a word that he's not called anywhere. I love that Matt sang the thousand names. The name here is the deity. Not full deity, not a deity, the deity. And he's not similar in substance to God at this point, kind of like God. No, he is the exact same substance. He is very God. This will separate us from Mormons, Buddhists, Jews, other world religions. And this is why Paul says it's the main thing. This is worth fighting over. Certain things we get into, arguments maybe on social media or elsewhere, let it go. Take Elsa's word, let it go. But this is worth standing on. This is worth fighting over. Jesus Christ, the Lord, the deity. Fully man, fully God. And he was murdered for this very claim. It's our creed. Pretty awesome. So the fullness of God's image, the wisdom of God, God's mystery, uh, crucified, risen, exalted, complete, and as such, he can pardon sins. He can handle our addictions, our worries. He can calm storms. He can heal. He can set captives free, and he can give life. I give that one two enthusiastic thumbs up. Still today, there's celebrities, authors, movies, books, based upon maybe supposedly real events, and they'll still imply, I've had an experience that you haven't. Unaware Christians are tempted to ask, is there more? 
and maybe I'm missing something, maybe God didn't give me the fullness, heed the warning, don't be taken captive. And I'm not talking about Muslims in whom God is using visions and dreams to bring them to Christ in droves. I am talking about people that will stand up and say, this happened to me, it's fact, equal to Scripture. Nothing in my life that has happened to me is fact, equal to Scripture. Even if I believe that the experience was real. So let's go on. Verse 11. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Wow. He was involved. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of our sins. Notice the shift. He's talking about you, 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 and now he says our. He's right in there with them. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised... With him through your faith. Uh, excuse me, I'm, I jumped up a line. Having, he forgave all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us, standing face to face, our debt stood against us, and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. Not a revenge thing, mind you. Not at all what he has in mind. Ha ha, you got me, I got you back. That is not it. It's just saying that it's flipped. And um, triumphing over them on the cross. So to this I say a a third um, maybe observation. What does it mean to be alive in Christ? Own your status. Own it. You are already alive, already full, already alive. Our high school students are going tonight on a houseboat trip, and uh, they will really have a good time. They leave at like 11.30 at night. They drive all night. They go to Arkansas, and they'll be on a boat all week. And we're looking going, what's the big deal? You know, do they really need to do this? Probably not. But is it going to be valuable? Oh, yeah. Now, for some, they're just going to be emotionally moved. And maybe when they get back, if you're a parent, you'll be like, they still treat me the same way. (laughs) What happened? I invested in this houseboat trip, and my kid's worse off than when they... But for others, it will be a, a chance to experience Christ firsthand, to get away from the voices, to get away from the noise, and to experience fullness of life. I'd encourage you, as a practical point, pray for them this week. And their leaders, mind you, but pray for them. That they own their status. That they realize, I had a good week, but I'm still no more alive this week than I was last week. Because God is with me. In Christ, we have all been circumcised, which means he dealt with our sin. He buried and baptized and raised us in verse 12. He made us alive. He forgave us. And he legally expunged all the charges. Whew, that's a good one. That's a good one. He dropped all the debt. 
He freed us from the grip of our enemies and our accusers. This is all we need. We don't need any sliming, slimy teaching of the world or for those claiming that um, the revelation they have can complete our faith or complete the message of life. And that's why we send our partners to Cambodia, Thailand. That's why we have people in the Philippines and the Dominican because we believe the centrality of this message is good, as good today as it was when Christ died and was raised on the cross. When I lived in Colorado, I would take groups to the mountains. And when we would drive out on I-70 West, there was one particular bridge that was designed with no posts. So you could get the panoramic view of the Rocky Mountains. And so you'd come up that hill, you'd see the bridge, and it would almost thrust you out into the mountain range. And always on the right-hand side up there, there were buffalo. I heard of buffalo. It blew the mind of this East Coast guy every time I experienced it. And the locals could never figure out, what's the big fuss? Why are you excited? Buffalo! I mean, this is like the Wild West to me. It was breathtaking. They're like, yeah, we've seen it our whole life. We've all been forgiven. We've been baptized. Our debt has been paid. When it comes to faith, does being made alive in Christ seem mundane or routine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He took care of that. Have you grown accustomed to its beauty? Do you take it for granted or do you stand up and point and go, wow, this is spectacular. Look what God did for me. Little old me. And so Paul clarifies. He he reminds them of the sign of the covenant, which is circumcision. It's symbolic of God's inner work or supposed to be, but it's incapable of changing the heart. The Old Testament prophets would actually say, hey, Be circumcised in your heart, be circumcised of your lips or your ears, and you can't do this to yourself. You need a high priest who removes the sin and throws it away, and that's Christ. Anyone who's had a hip or a knee replacement knows what this means. The old dead bone comes out, and you're like, keep it, throw it away, get rid of it. I don't want it. Give me the new. Sin remains, but Alistair Begg would say, it no longer rains. So it's defeated. So my, why am I walking around as though this monster has me by the throat? As though I'm defeated when the reality is Christ defeated sin. He calls baptism a burial to, to further give us this picture. It's a beautiful picture of the inner salvation. It's externally declared. And in coming out of the water, we're raised... Not by good behavior, but by the outside action of God. So no amount of teaching, religion, religious activity can save me. Because we were not somewhat sinful. I was not somewhat sinful. I was completely dead in my sin. We've got a picture here to illustrate. I was not mostly dead. And if you know the movie, mostly dead is slightly alive. I was completely dead. And it's, well, I won't, I won't say that. That's another movie that I won't quote. But Jesus changed our spiritual status to alive. Own it. Complete in Christ. Not existing in some robotic, robotic fashion, but alive. Sins forgiven. Legal violations canceled. Woohoo! 
debt nailed to the cross, full deliverance from the power of evil, sin has been defanged. The insignia above the head of Christ on the cross that was nailed up there, this is Jesus, King of the Jews, it was meant to shame him, to defeat him. Imagine that our own legal indebtedness and condemnation was nailed right up there with his. And then he flipped it all on its head. Their shame came upon themselves. And Romans 8 says, if you're in Christ, there is no more condemnation for you. Walk in newness of life. Christ bore it. When times get rough, my life in Christ alone will sustain me. Even when the good feelings are gone. And I have much to give thanks for. So there's no need to pay God back. Salvation is not a matching grant or a college loan that hangs over your head. So continue in faith. Don't get captured and create, celebrate your life in Christ. Let's close in prayer and then we'll sing a couple of songs and I invite uh, Pastor Grant and I will be up front if you want to come pray or share a burden. We're happy to. It doesn't mean you're you know, you're confessing your deepest, darkest, but if you just have something that's on your heart, we would love to pray for you and bring those needs to Jesus. Thank you, God, that you hear our prayers. You forgave us. You canceled the debt. That's good news for people like me, people like us who are not mostly dead, but completely dead. Thanks for us being together to be reminded of your beauty and splendor. In Jesus' name, amen.